Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. Ooh, that sounded kind of fun. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, at CIA Spy Girl on Twitter. That's how you know me. And we're broadcasting from the West Lift Coast. And today we're doing a very, very, very special espionage-themed episode of Washington for Beautiful People. And you'll see why. And I'm beyond thrilled, so excited to be joined by my friend, um, Elena Nicolau. Hey, Elena. Hey, Emily. How are you? Good. So I'm going to give a little background how we know each other. So Elena is an entertainment writer for Refinery29, and she writes books, TVs, about books, movies, TV, everything super fun, celebrity-related. And you had contacted me when the movie The Spy Who Dumped Me came out. I did, yeah. I wanted to do a story about what it was really like to date as a spy because there's so many spies in pop culture but I didn't know how real the depictions were so you're the expert on that topic along (laughs) with many other topics (laughs) well some of those topics really not that interesting but I can tell you everything you need to know about shoes um I could go in (laughs) so we ended up chatting all about like dating in the CIA we started talking about that maybe 30 40 minutes and all of a sudden Elena says I have a story to tell you. I'll let you pick it up. <laughs> and then literally yeah. the conversation lasted about like probably over an hour. We talked about this. So you start and then yeah, I'll chime in. Well, I felt like I had been carrying the secret with me for months and I didn't have anyone I could tell it to other than my family. So once I started speaking to Emily, someone who had a background in espionage, I said, okay, maybe I can tell this person my secret. And my secret was that for years, my family had been very close friends with Paul Erickson and Maria Butina, who at the time had just been arrested for um, working as an unregistered foreign agent, except the word spy was used a lot in that time. No one really knew what she was. So I spoke to Emily sort of to try to get clarity about who Paul and Maria were, because I spent my whole entire childhood since I met Paul when I was 15, wondering who they were. And also just to say, like, can you believe this happened? <laughs> So we talked for an hour. And basically the whole time I was like, holy shit, holy shit, you have to write this out. Oh my God, you need to write your story. And I literally, I, I, that's all I kept saying. I was like, this is crazy. And I probably peppered you with a gazillion questions. You did. And you were the first person who said, you have to write about this. And after we had that conversation, I started to begin seriously thinking like, huh, maybe I can use my platform at Refinery29 to bring this story to people because if it resonates with Emily, maybe it will resonate with other people. But it took me a really long time to try to finally like sit down and write it. I think partly because I was scared, partly because I didn't want to like confront this thing that happened to me and my family. Um, But after Paul got 
indicted for fraud, that was when I realized, okay, it's time. And then I banged it out three days. It just came right out. Isn't it funny that things sometimes those kind of stories come right out of you and they just kind of flow out of your fingers. You'd mentioned you were scared. What were you scared about writing the story? And then we'll dive into the story, but I'm curious what the trepidation and the fear was, because I think people will be really interested in knowing that because of your relationship with Paul and Maria. Yeah. Well, I was, I was scared for a number of reasons. First, I wanted to make sure my whole family was on board. That was really important to me. And when we spoke uh, over the summer, they weren't because I think they still thought we were friends with Paul. Like we, we, there was still like good fondness there, I guess. So that was, I didn't want to betray my family. I also was worried about putting my story out there and having people respond and say, you know, respond unkindly and say that we were idiots for being duped. Um, and then Wait a minute. Are I you saying also- that social media could be unkind? Yeah, so I was, no. I know I was scared of the Twitter mob. And I mean, I see comments on the story now, like that are turning kind of gnarly. So knowing like being a journalist, seeing things. Yeah, like, but seeing things that have happened to my friends who are also journalists, the way that the mob can descend, I was scared about that. And then I was also scared about getting something wrong and like, you know, putting, having the FBI call, although they ended up doing that anyway, so. (laughs) Well, we will get to that and let's make sure I'm putting down a note. I'm like, I want to hear about your FBI interaction, but I want to start sort of at the very beginning, how this happened, sort of the genesis of your family how your mom met Paul and she met her, she met him at a 25 year reunion seminar at Yale, right? In like 2009. Correct. Yeah. So these Yale reunions are like big hoopla's, big to do's. The whole families go. And by the time that we were all there for her 25th reunion, uh, they met at a seminar. He made her laugh because Paul is like very charming, funny person. who always has a joke, like on the tip of his tongue. And after, uh, we started socializing with him. So it would just be like big roving packs of kids and adults. He was at the center of every circle. And he took a looking to my family in particular for some reason. I, to this day, don't know why he latched onto us, but he did. And then after the reunion, the reunion is like summer camp. You usually don't really stay in touch with the people that you meet in those charmed three days Memorial Day weekend. But Paul like latched onto us. And he kept planning fun adventures for us to do as family. I think the first thing that we all did together was he took my family and my grandparents to Sardi's, this sort of historic restaurant in New York. Yeah. Um, And yeah, like just he treated us. He came to my sister's basketball game and rented a car and drove to suburban New Jersey. Eventually, you know, it got to the point where he for my sister's graduation party, rented a limo and took her to see Les Mis. He sent us... I know, like like stuff that you would expect a really wealthy and eccentric uncle to do, he was doing for us. Like, And then eventually, one of the things that he did was take us all to Disney World in 2015. Um, by, and he had, he had met Maria by then, and this is sort of his way of introducing us to Maria. I, I was just going to go back. Like, was it, was your family ever skeptical or suspicious when... I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, not nothing against like your family, but when somebody sort of attaches so quickly and so closely and so over the top, was there ever like a, a why is this? Or did he not have family? Did you ever meet his family? Or were you all just like, hey, this is he feels like family, so this is okay. 
he definitely like could keep up with that. So in that sense, we're very verbal. We're really fine. So he kept our pace. And in that way, he felt like family. But yeah, we were definitely suspicious, especially my sister and my dad and I. Like when we met him at Yale, I was sure he didn't even go to Yale. I was like, oh, this guy probably is uh, an imposter. And he's just lashing onto people because weirdly enough, that had happened my freshman year of college during orientation. There was a uh, an imposter who was mingling with us. So I said, Are you oh, serious? Definitely. Yes, it was a crazy scammer story that happened. Um, <laughs> so I thought that he might have been an imposter because he had zero, like, none of the things he said about his past really made any sense. He didn't have a full time job. He talked about how he spent his summers in college fighting communists. He seemed to have contacts in the uh, oil world and in the um, movie world and he told me he was a part owner of the Kodak Theater like he was not like anybody I'd ever met in my life so my I was like he is he real unfortunately back in 2009 there was nothing about him on the internet like nothing he did not exist on the internet so and it was very then, hard to verify it's weird because it back even in 2009 I feel like people had an internet trail, like you still had a footprint, yeah. you know, it wasn't like it was 2000 or, you know, in 1990 something like you right. should have, a, you should have some kind of footprint out there. So did you think it was suspicious or did you just think he kept, kept it on the, like the down low? No, I thought it was suspicious. I mean, it seemed like a deliberate stifling of whatever he was involved with because now his Wikipedia page is very filled out and you can see yeah. that he did have his hand in a lot of like, like for someone who was the campaign manager of Pat Buchanan's yeah. uh, campaign, you would think that he'd be on the internet. I do think that he took pains to not have a presence that he prided himself on being like a, a one who moved in the shadows, so to speak. So it seemed <laughs> deliberate and very shady, <laughs> but you can't control who your parents are friends with, you know, you just go along with it. You just do. And also like, look, if I was, if I was in your position and some guy is like taking me to Sardis, flying us to Disney meeting, like doing all this, I'm like, uh, okay, like, sure. You want to take me yeah, to late? Exactly. I, I'm in, you won't take me here. I'm in like, and also it's, it's also flattering that here's this guy who has taken so much attention in our family and you all also politically are so different. Like you're very liberal leaning yeah. and he's obviously not, and so I think that part was also interesting. And I was wondering if that was maybe a little bit intriguing to him as well. Yeah, it never seemed like it was a problem for him. It seemed like he enjoyed like being around people who were different than he was. And I think for us, it was our way of being like, oh, yeah, you can be friends with anyone as long as you can talk to them about. I, I don't know how we got over it. I think it's just because we didn't really talk about it at all. He was always asking us questions about who we were and what made us happy and what we wanted to do with our lives. He was very curious about like, like us as people. And I think when the conversation is about that, it's easy to forget the political differences because you're really just speaking to people as individuals. This is and my curious mind. That's what you like to do. Yeah. I did your parents have any uh, connections with the government or anything politically leaning? I'm just, all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, why is he asking so many detailed questions? I wonder if he's working at, but I know that he's not, but that's where my mind went. I was just curious. No, if it was, it was totally, did he ever talk about like ladies that he dated or had you ever heard of anything before Maria? Or was he sort of like the sad old dude? He just seemed, 
he he never really did talk about things he did it as I got older he started making like lots of sexual jokes like recently I was going through our texts and he sent me a joke about Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande and how she needed to wear heels so that she was always at a certain height or something oh, he, like he's or, like crotch region yeah like so disgusting. basically he wanted to make sure that she was blowjob level Exactly. So he kind of, and then when he was here at my house, he kind of made like sexual innuendos to my friend. So he ended up becoming like filling the role of a dirty old man. But that wasn't when I was younger. When I was younger, he didn't do that sort of thing. I remember once he took a spool leg and he brought a a lady friend who he met at church with him, but he never explained who she was or like how they knew each other. (laughs) Maria was the first person who we knew that he was like definitely dating and the first person that he was very open about like having a romantic connection with and I just want to like underscore like you have texts from Paul like he was very much ingrained in family like the fact and also the Pete Davidson to Ariana thing happened recently like this was months within months ago so like the fact that you were doing it's like this for you to tell your story like this I mean I was just about to say you were telling me the story and I'm trying over the summer and the Pete Ariana thing hadn't happened yet. So, I mean, you've been ongoing, so I can't imagine how challenging putting pen to paper for this story is. And also for your family, how fresh it still feels. Well, I, but it's easier now that we know that he's like indicted screwed us over and like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, wow, this guy was lying the whole time. Did he tell you, so he cut to, he's like, Hey, I met this girl. How did he tell you about Maria? And is it Butina or Butina? I've heard it both ways. I've heard Butina think, now. But is what yeah, did he everyone's say? saying Butina now. He said Butina. Well, let's but go with Paul. We always call her Butina. <laughs> I don't know if Paul's way of saying it's the smartest way, but I, all right. <laughs> Look with him. He, he was stooping her. So, like, that's, that's close enough for me. You know what, though, even when we first met them, we weren't sure if he was shipping her. Like, I spent the entire Orlando trip wondering if they were sleeping together, but I'll get to that later. Oh, please do. um, I was like, "Mm, let's go there. Okay, so he cut to when he calls you and he's like, hey, had you heard about Maria? Had he said, like, I was in Russia and I met this, like, a hot redhead? Like, how did all that happen? Sure. So he, we only saw him, like, once or twice a year. And in 2013, no, uh, 2014, he came to our house over the summer for like barbecue. And I think my friends were there too. Um, and he sat at the table in my backyard and told us about this woman that he had met the year before and how she was captivating and that they shared a passion for guns and that they had so much in common, but she was Russian. She lived in Siberia. Um, and they had met at a conference that she had organized with her organization, the right to bear arms in Russia. And he, he just was totally taken with this woman who on her own accord, like founded this organization. Um, then he said that after meeting a couple months later, they reunited in Israel for a very romantic New Year's Eve, which was midway between the United States and Russia, apparently. So we knew that they like had had some connection and that he, right now the struggle was bridging the long distance because she was still in Russia. So I know that, was, that he Yeah, flew. that's the only struggle there, Paul. Yeah, exactly. And aside the fact that she was 26. I don't think that yeah. we knew that she was 26 at the time, but then when my dad found out, he was, like, totally freaked out because <laughs> Paul was my mom's age, like, 55 or, or 52 at the time. Oh, 
That was that was going to be yeah. my challenge. Like, did you know that she was legitimately just legal to drink? <laughs> well, it was crazy getting out of the airport in Orlando to meet her and realizing that she was essentially like in my bracket of age group. And I'm, <laughs> I was like, this is not who I expected to meet. Like, this is a girl in jeans, shorts and a princess shirt wearing a mini hat. Like, this is not an international woman of mystery. This is a girl who's a couple years older than me. You're like, you maybe know? this is her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, and, and I try to be open-minded, but I was 20 years old and I was like, why are you with him? <laughs> Oh, like come let's hang out <laughs> it's also weird like when a dude comes over and he's like yes yeah, so i fell in love with this girl and she's willing to guns and she lives in siberia but i think she could be my soul like the whole thing is it's coming out exactly. of your mouth it's like she lives in where and what and she's yeah. huh and she's oh, okay i know and he visited her family he flew out and he visited her family in siberia and he told us that he went into their banya which is like their sauna in the backyard and her parents did this like Russian traditional bathhouse thing, which is they beat him with a bundle of sticks. That's just and what so they like, told him because they wanted to beat the shit out of him. They're like, it's a Russian oh, well, tradition. I, I, he was exactly. sticks. Oh, they should do that on The Bachelor. <laughs> Ex- oh my God. That, that, would, be- that would be a good hometown visit. <laughs> We're just going to beat you. It's our tradition. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but I do know that that is the thing that they do. And I, I do get pleasure imagining that happening <laughs> so, in retrospect. So he tells you, he's like, okay, um, I met this girl. We hooked, we went and reunited in Israel on New Year's. And then what happened? And then, and then he talked about visiting her family and that like, she's incredible that we have to meet her. Um, And we were excited for him, but definitely, you know, weary. I don't know. Yeah. Just like he had never expressed any romantic inclination before at all. I was talking to one of his other friends who knew him from South Dakota and she said that she always thought he was like asexual. So he wasn't really like a sexual person. So to hear him talking about this woman, it was like we still didn't and he he never really addressed it head on. He would never say she's my girlfriend or we're dating, nothing like that. It was all like context clues. We had to put together the pieces when we were together in Orlando and that's what I spent a lot of the trip doing, like figuring out what their relationship was. Were they holding hands? Were they like nuzzling each other? Like were they going on small world and like kissing for the kiss cam? Like, or was it like she was hanging out with you and then he was hanging out with the adults? Well, it would end up like being like that, which is funny because the natural groupings were she would come hang out with me and my sister, which is so bizarre. But anyway, um, they started off being like not affectionate physically affectionate with each other just more like you could tell that they knew each other well and were comfortable with each other um but I think that that might have just been I don't know if it was a shyness but it was sort of like a a slow like we know this is weird let's uh see how you guys handle this and then by the end I know that they were holding hands more and the reason I know that is because I actually wrote in my diary from the trip and I, I wrote like, I love that you kept Paul a and Maria. I know I, I'm mad at myself that I didn't keep more of a detailed diary, but I had one entry about the trip and it said, Paul and Maria are definitely dating. Um, they gradually held hands more throughout the trip. It's kind of weird. And then I wrote this, I wrote, it's kind of weird, but whatever works for us spies, because I think at the time we thought uh-huh. that Paul was with the CIA. 
Okay, that's fascinating. You knew at 20, you're like, this is weird. Yeah. It's interesting. You had mentioned to me on the phone, then you wrote in your piece that she disappeared for a day because she had a chipped tooth. Yeah. What the heck, right? I well, mean, I'm just wondering, like, did she, did she go to a dentist? Did you see the chipped tooth? Did she come back and talk about it? Was she in pain? Like, I have so many questions that I would want to follow up with that. Or was it just like, chip my tooth, gone, and then, hey, I'm back again? So I have been going over this day, like, <laughs> in my memory so much because I don't, because it seems so suspect now. Yeah. I remember that apparently, and this is, what my family remembered after like a brainstorm session, she had, um, she had bitten to an apple and then apparently the filling cracked off, like one of okay. her fillings, they blamed it on bad Soviet dentistry. That was a line that was used over and over again. But I remember being with Paul while he called an emergency dentist and they had to drive into Orlando to um, find a dentist. The thing is, so she didn't, she didn't chip her tooth. So you, we couldn't see it. Like it was okay. just a cracked filling. So I don't remember there being any proof, but I do remember they were totally gone for a whole day. Um, and then we reunited later that day. So who knows where they went? Well, cause to me, as soon as you said that, I'm like, Oh, okay. So they're, she, they're meeting with her handler or they're, I mean, immediately I was like, oh, okay, well, was there proof? Did you see it? If you didn't like that to me, was no, immediately what I said, and I also thought, well, interesting. He brought her to Florida outside of where he lives and she lived. He had cover because he was with your family and it made perfect sense. You're in Florida. I mean, I, my mind started going. And so I can only imagine what you're, what you all thought too. And clearly you already suspect when you're like, whatever works for the spy. Oh yeah. We were totally suspect. We were totally suspect. We were like, did she really tip her tooth? We did not believe it at all, but we kind of were like, all right, like, what are we going to do? Interrogate them about where they went all day. And like, gonna, say, show me your tooth. Show me your tooth. We're going to pin you down, bring out our, our little homemade polygraph machine and we're going to hook you up. Yeah. After yeah, and so, they were paying for the trip, you know, so you can't say, oh, we don't believe you, you liars. I would have been like, whatever you want. You can tell me like you chip two teeth. If you're paying for this trip, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also just to throw it out there, it's not a small expense to pay for your whole family. My mind, my spy mind goes, well, wow, if they were using it for cover, it doesn't matter because the government will just throw you money to be able to, you know, show your cover. When I worked at the agency, you know, I, you know, if you had a cover job or you had a cover that you were wealthy or you were X or you were Y, you always lived your cover. And so you would have those resources to bear to really give the bona fides that you are who you say you are in that cover. Right. So to me, that right. made sense if they were doing it. I mean, clearly this is all my spy mind working, but that to me made sense. I was like, oh, of course, like, cause I'm reading later, you know, that he's sort of a huckster and a total con man that he probably didn't have that money, but he may have gotten that, you know, if he was working with Maria. So I found the whole right. thing really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I know. And then later during the trip, they met with a Russian couple mm -hmm. just randomly. They were like, oh. oh, you have to go to this restaurant. Maria knows people. So uh -huh. we definitely probably was. And, okay, to make things more suspect, we originally were supposed to go on a. If you tell me one of the people, on the, uh, if you tell me one of the pe one of those couples is Vlad, is like, oh, this is our friend Putin. I'm going to probably have to hang up the <laughs> No, she actually did not like Vladimir. She was open about not liking him. And she had a cell phone case that like was making fun of him. And then she said when she went to Russia, she had to change it. Um, but I think like in, 
in Russia, groups like hers, they like, because they challenge the government's authority, they are not uh, looked, they're not liked by the government. And so she didn't like him. She told me that she wanted to become the first female president of Russia, very seriously. And she meant it. And I believed her. We were standing outside of SeaWorld. Well, that's where you usually make your proclamations about wanting to run a government, usually in front of SeaWorld or Legoland. <laughs> so it makes total sense. What's yeah, interesting- Yeah, a bunch of Americans. <laughs> so a bunch of Americans like Shambu is jumping over your head. You're like, keep it down, Shambu. I'm going to tell everybody I'm going to run the world. Um, what's interesting <laughs> to me is like she, just so people know a little bit about Maria and her background, she wanted to create her own version of the NRA in Russia, for lack of a better term, basically, the right to bear arms is sort of- how I read into it, and you please correct me if I'm wrong, that it was sort of modeled on our NRA. And she was having big meetings, big conferences in Russia where, you know, she's getting huge attendance to to start this movement there. And supposedly, um, also in Russia, you're not allowed to have guns. So that in right. itself is, is a little odd, but she was sort of trying to do that. And it really impressed people within uh, the NRA, and Paul was an active member in the NRA. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that, because now we've we've established that Maria and Paul are together, but why would Maria be interested in Paul? And as a lot of us have surmised that, you know, Paul had connections, obviously, to the GOP, but he also had connections mm-hmm. to the NRA. And there's been now a lot of talk and a lot of proof showing that the NRA may have funneled money into mm-hmm. Trump's campaign, that money coming from right. the Russians. Particularly, there's a gentleman named Alexander Torshin, who Maria Butina Butina was friends with. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? I just want to give some context about Paul and why there could have been, not that it wasn't real love. I'm not doubting their authentic love. I'm totally doubting it. Absolutely, 100%. (laughs) Um, But I think it's, it's interesting, and I think that's why a lot of people's you know, antennas were raised when you look at who Paul was and why Maria could have taken an interest in him. Right. Yeah. It's so crazy. The words that they always used in conversation with us, like from America, Russia, guns, NRA, like are now the words that are used to describe collusion. Like they've been for talking about this for a very long time is what I need to say. Um, I mean, it, he sort of seems like the perfect person to know. He knows a lot of people in, uh, like, he knows a lot of people in the NRA. He knows a lot of people in the conservative, um, like far right conservatives and the Christian conservatives. He does this like national prayer breakfast. He's very involved with that. Which so is a very, very big deal. And it's attended, yeah. I mean, a lot of people know who that is, but it's attended by, you know, everyone who's anyone sort of in the GOP and the NRA. So it's a very big deal that Maria ended up attending one of those as well. Right. Right. And they talked about that. I just imagine them as like at the epicenter of this weird marriage between the NRA, Russia and Republicans. And they're there. Like they were always stirring that pot is is the way to put it. So I, I think that their partnership makes sense because they both were interested in like the same things. Well, and also to go a little bit back to Torsion. So Maria had a very close relationship with this dude named, this dude, this guy named Alexander Torsion, who was a Russian banker who also happened to have close ties with Putin. So if if you're doing this maze in your head and it's a complicated web of how it all kind of spreads out, that's where that piece fits in. So Maria is friends with Torsion, who is 
Torshin, who's friends with Putin. It sounds like a bad song, but so that's that connection. So if they're connected and then he meets Paul, who is sort of just embedded with the NRA. I mean, he's, he was friends mm-hmm. and close with past presidents and he was there and he took trips with the NRA. You know, that's who he is. He's the perfect, yeah. if you were a spy and I know she is an alleged uh, spy, he would be a perfect person to target. Because what you're doing, when you're targeting somebody, you're looking for someone who has access to information and access to people with information. And he is someone who you would go, he's perfect. He has access to the NRA. He has access to the GOP. He knows all the big muckety mucks. He can get us contact. She took pictures in front of the NRA and, you know, at the National Prayer Breakfast, she asked a question to Trump. The fact that she got to me, it's, you know, if whoever her handler was, alleged handler, they would probably be doing shots of vodka right now going, she's our girl. Because to get that close to your target and to get that close to being able to have that type of influence is absolutely huge. But we can take a step back. So, Well, and Torsten also is now under investigation for donating money to the NRA in like huge amounts. And they're wondering if it was the NRA was just a way to funnel money to the Trump campaign. So like, and, and apparently I read once and this was like back when I was, nobody had been reporting on this and I was just like stalking them heavily on Twitter. Like the few, (laughs) the few crazy people like me who were putting the pieces together. I think that she might be so close to torsion that they use the word God thought like, like she might be his kid's godmother, like something they're very, very close is what I mean to say. Yeah. I mean, at one point he, um, she like worked with him and he actually made her business cards to show that they're, you know, they had a very solid relationship Mm -hmm. that she could use when she would network on his behalf and on their behalf, because she was even talking about maybe they could, you know, they could help, you know, set, set up better relationships between, you know, different between the NRA and Russia. Like she was definitely a linchpin in this. Right. Yeah, there are too many coincidences. It's they're which not is, coincidences. Yeah, they're not coincidences. <laughs> it's funny because people. There was an article in the New Republic that was with. I'm you read it. I'm because I saw that you read it. In your oh, piece, I sure did. Yeah. That you know, kind of it. It was very friendly to Maria, and it you know, it's you know, kind of poked some holes in the FBI's case, and people are saying, oh, she's alleged this. She wasn't you know really a spy. You don't have to be called a spy to be a spy. If you walk like a spy, if you act like a spy, if you talk like a spy, if you do spy shit, you're a spy. Like, it doesn't matter what your label is. You can call her, you know, a, a television. You'd be like, she's a television, but she could still be a spy. Like, that's everything that she did. <laughs> well, aligned, exactly. The, everything she did aligns with that. So after, yeah. were you putting together these pieces after Disney? Like, when did some of this start to go, okay, this is so weird. Like this girl is like super connected in Russia and she's after this old dude. Like when did you start after this, what happened with their relationship and what was he telling you and what were you thinking? So it definitely has to be Disney where I realized that something was up because you spend five nights with someone like 
even if your best friend, even if they're your best friend, you'll be like, oh, this person's so weird. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, I need to get away. Traveling with anybody. Yeah. But with them, I think what I realized was how little I knew about them, but also how big their sense of purpose was. Their egos were very big. They seemed like they were doing stuff that they thought was very important, but they couldn't be transparent with those things. So I said, all right, either they're spies or they're frauds or they're actually onto something. I just didn't know. And, and it's, that was it's interesting. I just want to interrupt for one second. It's interesting you say ego because when we talk about recruiting somebody, one of the things you look at, there's always, there's something called mice and one is like money, ideology, and the E in mice is ego. So you usually look for targets where you can play into their ego. Like when we talk about Trump, he's got such an enormous inflated, like, you know, yeah. helium-esque huge, uh, you know, blimp size ego that you're like, he's perfect. That's his, that's his point. That's his Achilles heel. So when you say ego, right. it makes sense because she probably said, this is where I can go. Right. And she had a huge ego too. I mean, she took herself very seriously. So as a 20 year old, seeing a 26 year old woman be so confident in like her ambition, that was almost something I admired. I was like, wow, yeah. I guess I can be a boss too when I'm 26. <laughs> um, but not, not in the same way she was. Um, so for me, that was when like my antennas, which were already up, went like straight up. And I said to myself, let's pay attention. However, that trip, I was distracted because while I was there, I got a call from my doctor about like with some bad health news. So we were spent that whole trip focusing on that instead of asking Paul and Maria questions. And I wonder what that diagnosis, like how much I just tuned everything else out because I was so focused on that. Um, so Imagine. that all happened like, yeah, it was like almost on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then that's just mm. what you would do. And so you go back to, you guys go back home and then you start seeing Maria and Paul at different events. Like they showed mm -hmm. up at your graduation. Yeah. In so that was a year later. Yeah. They showed up a year later to the graduation party. That was the next time I saw them. Were and they living together that, at this point? Were they what? Were they living together? I believe yeah. so. Okay. I don't know when she moved to the United States to study. I think it actually might have been in 2017. I, I don't know. I don't remember when she did moved he, to become a student. Did he pay for her some of her education? Yeah, I think so. And he did her homework also. Oh my God, I would have dated him if he would have done my homework. I know. Yeah, he did her. He helps her with her homework. I don't know when she moved to the United States. I I think it actually might have been later. I think it might have been in September of 2017. Okay. Um, but I can check my text. That's fine. I was just curious timeline-wise. I'm like, so they're they're living together, cohabitating. Um, he's doing her homework because that's normal. And yeah. he's paying for school and they're together and they show up at your graduation. In costume. So, um, yeah, at my graduation, she definitely wasn't a student yet, but they were definitely like together and all of our friends and family had heard about them. They had heard about the trip. So they were excited to meet them. And when they show up like late to the party in togas, they definitely made a really big splash. Um, and they were very like charming. They took over the whole party. But I remember very clearly everybody was talking a little bit about politics because it was the summer of 2016. It's what you did. And yeah. Paul looks at me in the eye and he goes, uh, oh, this is what it was. A little girl said she wanted to be the first female president at the party. And Paul said, well, she can be because Hillary definitely isn't going to win. Trump is going to win the election. 
And I remember standing up and like gasping and saying, mom, can you tell Paul to stop like saying lies or something? <laughs> and they were not lies. The man was stopped with those words. Yeah, but no one was saying that in June 2016. No, no. one. No, yeah. we weren't. I mean, it, it it was weird. It's also odd. I mean, obviously looking back hindsight 2020 to hear the confidence in his voice, like maybe he knew something. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there was no room for uh, dissent in that tone. That's so interesting. And so then you guys hang out. Has he, are you guys also just still in your family, still in regular contact with Paul? Like, is he saying anything like, oh, hey, and Maria just, you know, met with, you know, Don Jr., you know, another two people. Like, how did you find out that her relationship and his relationship were getting deeper within the Trumps and also deeper within the NRA and Russia? Like, how did you discover that those, those ties were even, you know, more complex than you originally thought? So we really had no idea. Like uh, they did not tell us anything. They didn't tell us that they were working with the Trumps. They didn't tell us that they were meeting with all these people. Um, They just said like, there were no specifics, right? We knew that they were doing some things with some politicians, but we, we didn't know specifics and, and didn't really ask, I think, because we didn't want to know the answer, or at least that is, when I look back, that's sort of what I, tell myself um but I, I think he was in the most contact with my mom they emailed each other a lot they texted but it was always about our lives like he really didn't give anything about his life he was focused on us he would send us christmas presents um my mom was there for him when his mother died like it was very personal life stuff it was only in 2017 um when we were having dinner with gay Talise, that was when he that's when I realized that they were working on the Trump transition team and that that all of their wheelings and dealings had been leading to to this that they were involved with Trump or they were involved directly with the conservative momentum in the country until then it had just been like a suspicion had he ever mentioned like David Keene who is a former NRA president did he ever mention that relationship and no he and David Keene was supposedly was in talks with Paul about establishing some back channel communications yeah. with uh, Putin and the NRA and being able to make that that ease. Yeah, it's been really great to be be able to read all the great journalism around this because they're giving me the answers that I never had. Like apparently David Keene was with Paul when he met Maria and and they were together, I think, at that time. So all of these things that are filling in the wide gaps of my knowledge, it's been a relief almost. Let's go back to David Keene. So at that moment, you didn't, you hadn't heard, they never mentioned David Keene, but you were saying that you were, you've, it's been enlightening to read all these stories that have kind of put those puzzle pieces together because Mm -hmm. there's been these wide gaps of, you know, constant questioning from you. Yeah, exactly. It's been, it's sort of like when you feel like you're crazy and then people, then you have proof that the things that you're seeing are real. So that has very, I spent a good year and a half waiting for something to break, waiting for something to happen. Otherwise I was just crazy, you know, 
Well, you told in your story, I loved it, that you were telling an ex-boyfriend, and then finally when it happened, you're like, I'm vindicated. I told you so. Oh, I know. No, but I I know. We had already broken up, so I was like, well, he's reading these things, and he knows I was right. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're much nicer than I would have been. I literally would have texted me like, I know you haven't heard from me, and I know I probably told you to fuck off, but I just want you to know that I'm right. Look at this. Suck it. I was right, and then I would be done. But that's that's the mature approach. And so I'm not saying you should do that, but if you want, totally did. What okay, was the I flipped in a dig. Yeah, please, you know, go run with it. I was going to ask you, <laughs> so all this is going on. What was the last time you saw both of them together? And when was the last time? And was were, when you saw them last together, was it Paul and Maria? Or was it just Paul? The last time I saw them both together, um, actually I think the last time I saw both of them was in, May 2017, it was my sister's graduation party in my backyard once again. So it was the same cast of characters who had been there for my graduation party. Dude, your backyard uh, is like the party place. That's all I'm saying. Like, this is one of the takeaways I've learned. Oh, yeah. We throw fantastic parties. And so it's just hilarious that, like, all the most important people in our lives have met Paula Maria and gotten their palms <laughs> read by Maria Putina. Like, everyone just thinks this is. The, the wildest thing that's happened to them too. So we've given a lot of people good stories to tell at parties. You know what? Um, I, I tell everybody that everybody has a story and like, you should only be friends with people who have stories because if you don't have a good story, then you're not like, there's nothing, then I've nothing to talk to you about. Like everybody has something, <laughs> has that story and you've given them that. It's like a gift. You mean like, oh yeah, I remember this time I went to this party and Maria Butina. Yeah. Um, she read my palm. Great <laughs> yes. story. We have a lot of Right, we have photographic evidence. So I'm very happy to have uh, spiced up people's life stories, definitely. But that was the last time we saw them. It was, def- I think the tone was different because by then Trump had been elected and we knew that they were involved with politics. And I decided like I really couldn't have them in my personal life anymore. Like my family, could, my parents could do what they wanted, but I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Like. I didn't like the way that Paul had declared, oh, yeah, gun violence is just going to go up in this country. We're going to become like Israel. We're just going to get used to it the way that they do. Like, I I just didn't want to have that energy in my life. I didn't want to have people who said that sort of thing so casually in my life. So they came to the party, but I wasn't involved with them. Did, did your parents ever say, oh, give them a break. It's OK. Or were they like, we get it. You, it just can't be. You can't have that. Um, I think my dad got it a little more, but to Paul and my mom, like they really had a relationship. They really had a friendship. He was very nice to her. And like, it was harder for her, I think, to realize. I think she was more forgiving than we were, but my dad and my sister understood why I drew, drew a line. So that's the last time you saw them. And then now, since then, since 2017, all these stories are happening, but you guys are still in mm-hmm. contact. You're still getting texts from Paul. You're still in contact. You're not obviously hanging out, you know, on the regular, but what's, is it, are you, is your mom at all thinking is her tenor raised? Because I can't imagine how difficult it'll be to find out that your friend is involved in this at this mm-hmm. point. That I was curious, like, were you were because there were rumors that were coming out steadily about Maria, and until she and yeah. then she got indicted. How was that affecting your family? Were you was were they still in denial? Or were you like, were you just like finally vindication, or did that come a little bit later? 
we all responded to it really differently. Like when the Maria news broke and I saw it on Twitter, I almost was excited. I was like, I'm right. There's something <laughs> happening here. And then my immediate next thought was, oh my gosh, who's going to tell my mom? Like, who's going to tell my mom that her friend is involved with this political empire that she does not like? Like, so it definitely, she now has like a heaviness about her. I think that she's been sad ever since absolutely came out. Yeah. And so, you know, seeing these people on the front page of the New York Times, like it feels like a betrayal. Some of her friends have been supportive. Some of them haven't been. Uh, it's definitely been a trying time for her. I think now is the hardest part with the financial. I was going to ask you that. Con. I was going to ask you to talk about that. I had a couple of, just cause we're getting towards the end. I was going to ask a couple of things first. Do you feel, and I want to get to the financial part as well. When they were together, did you ever feel that, Paul was more into the relationship than Maria. Did you feel like Maria was maybe using Paul and now it's, you know, it's this weird scapegoat kind of relationship. And do you feel like he's going to turn on her? She's, I mean, right now she said she's going to be, you know, spilling the beans on Paul. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts were. And have you heard from Paul since that and what he's saying about Maria? Like his, has he told you anything or any of his thoughts? Has he said, like, this is crazy, I'm I'm innocent? What has been sort of the, the fall after that? Sure, yeah. So to answer the first part of your question, I always thought that he was more into the relationship than, he, than she was. And I also think that's with my ingrained biases of like, oh, yeah, of course, the 50-something-year-old is going to be super into this kind of really beautiful 26-year-old she didn't seem like she was ever making an effort at all. Like, and he, all of his energy was directed towards her. So there was definitely not a normal dynamic there for a relationship. Um, there was not much give and take on both ends. It was all give on one end. Um, then in terms of like what sense. it's been like now, yeah, I have, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm watching a reality TV show. I'm like, who's going to spill the beans first in the, uh, the interview with the producer. Um, I, I know that Paul was, my mom and Paul have been texting, had been texting throughout this situation. He was always saying, don't believe the news. Uh, Maria is innocent. I'm innocent. Um, so he's very adamant about like being in the right. Okay. Um, and I know that he visited her when she was in prison. I know that they were still in touch. I know he encouraged. Really? Yeah. So they seem, even after those emails came out that in which she was saying, sort of complaining about him, he was still visiting her. So oh, he really did so seem sad. to think that their relationship is real. Oh, that's so sad. Or he just wanted to go and make sure that she wasn't going to like spill the beans on him and was trying to yeah, do. Yeah, we really like, don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like, oh my God, he's, he was so duped and he, his ego was so large that he thinks that she, you know, you know, wanted to jump him or he was so fucking scared that he was going to go to prison that he wanted some kind of reassurance. And then he was going there, maybe making promises like I can help you out or whatever, you know, I'm creating obviously a narrative that I have no idea that happened, but yeah. You know, it's so hard to know who was using who. It really is hard. Like I, I go back and forth all the time because both scenarios are totally big sense. Possible. So he. When was the last time 
you heard from him and your folks heard from him. And then just a little bit about, because right now he's indicted on money laundering and wire fraud. So yeah. um, he, he's, he's not a good dude. He's, you know, and no. this was over, I think, 29 years he's been doing yeah. this. And so he's been indicted and which is nice is that he's been indicted, uh, I think, in his home state, which means mm-hmm. that he, South Dakota, South Dakota, that's right, where he, you know, where it's not that he would ever get a pardon or anything like that. But it, it means that, you know, my hope, my fervent hope is that everything will stick in that way. So can you explain just you were talking about sort of the financial aspect with your family, if you don't mind, did he, was that something that your family was involved in? Did he sort of dupe your family as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the, the growing horror of this whole entire realization was that Paul is a bad man. Like uh, he has cheated a lot of people out of money. And I think that this will unfold even more like the extent of his con to it's the fact that we have to add con man to this mix of already a maelstrom of insanity is frankly like almost too big to grasp but i i do think that this is almost the biggest story how this man managed to run a white collar like how, how this man managed to run a huge financial scheme for 30 years under the radar steal people's money and like, get away but- with it it's and it's Crazy. also like he built money around organizations or companies that were, one was a wheelchair company that he yeah. like created saying it was going to help wheelchair bound individuals be able to live a more independent life. One was senior care centers. I mean, he was truly yeah. praying, which was so vile to me, praying upon the most vulnerable in our society, which he knows is going to tag and just, you know, grab onto most, you know, good humans' heartstrings. Like, of course you want to help people. And so to me, that that just showed sort of the underbelly of who he was. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the coldness with which he cheated people out of their money is pretty shocking. And I, and I know I've spoken to other people and since I published the article who he's done the same thing too. What's so strange is that he would have people invest with him, even though he knew that he was taking their money and then he would stay friends with them. So it would be like, you're investing with your friend. You think that they're your friend and you never really get any returns, but they, keep up the affection so that you're always on the line. You're always waiting for something to happen. So that, that's what he did with us. My parents did invest money with him and now they're involved with the ongoing FBI investigation. Um, so that, I think that cold coldness, the fact that he was able to do that and betray the people that he said he was the closest to does lead me to believe that he might've been using Maria too. Like anyone who's capable of doing that must be capable of, a lot of other big picture manipulations that I can't it's, even fit into that. It's head. someone who doesn't have a moral compass. It's not exactly. someone who, who has any, who is, I mean, he's, it, it's, he has an empathy vacuum. Like there's, he doesn't have that abilities. That's like, it's almost like sociopathic that you don't. No, no, it is sociopathic. It's I know. Sociopathic. I didn't want to be so Textbook. rude, but yeah, it is. It is kind of sociopathic. Textbook. Charming, charming, like uh, charismatic, remembers things about you and then will cheat you out of all your money. And and he uses that as sort of the wedge to get into your life and bet in and then Mm -hmm. cheat you out of money. It's scary. It's, well, and that to me is, it it makes sense and also makes sense why that's the type of person that would connect with Maria and why that's also Mm -hmm. the type of person who would possibly be working with a foreign entity to, 
to help himself and, you know, help Trump, because I'm assuming that there was, there was payout for Paul. And I'm sure that he benefited in some financial way doing, you know, by doing this, I, I, you know, I bet the farm if I had a farm, which I don't. So I bet my Prius on it that he, you know, (laughs) those benefits and it's an old Prius and beat up. So it's not that much, but I, I mean, that makes total sense. When was the last time your mom heard from him, got a text or a call and he's, he asked for any help since he's been um, you know, indicted or is, are you guys just has, like the asylums? So he hasn't asked for help. He did ask that my mom, like, you know, be in touch with Maria and write her letters. Like he, he, a while ago, he was asking for help in that regard. Um, the last time he spoke to her, I think she tried to like sever relations with him because she's very upset. Like this has been so hard for her and it breaks my heart. Um, and then he, texted her like something along the lines of I didn't do it the truth will come out I didn't do it I don't think any of us believe him at this point um and I I think finally my mom does not believe him (laughs) oh good I I, and I that to me your mom is is really the victim in all this and not that I not that she is but to me it's it just you know she went in with a beautiful heart and she went in wanting to believe a friend I, you know, a, a friendship that had obviously matured and he had nurtured. And so anybody would feel that. And so that to me exactly. is the real sort of crime. What's, what do you think is going to happen if you were gonna, while we're wrapping up, what is your prediction? Oh my goodness. My prediction. Well, my prediction is that I will be paying attention to everything like, very closely. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I'm, she'll she's gonna have to testify I wonder if anything that she says will be uh will affect him in some way I'm most excited not excited is the wrong word I'm most interested to see if any of their testimonies like tie back to Trump and if this impacts like the Mueller investigation at all I I honestly though have no idea what's gonna happen I I just hope that it gives more clarity to like who they actually were and what they were doing, because those very basic questions, who they were and what they were doing is, are still not totally clear. No, they're not. Their testimonies make that clear. And what's interesting, Ted Lieu is uh, one of the congressmen who's heading up an investigation into the NRA and his, and their relationship with, with Russia and the money that came into Trump. And so I think that is going to lend some clarity, you know, part of me thinks like they're both going to turn on each other and then it's going to be, you know, all hell's going to break loose, which would be delightful because they're going to be like, fuck you, fuck you. I want less time. And also what's going to happen to her. Like, I'm also curious, like, isn't like what's going to happen to her. And I hope she does serve time here because I'm curious what will happen when she goes back, if she's considered a hero or if, because this all happened, she got wrapped up, like what actually is going to happen. But anyway, this is, you know, sorry. Oh, no, no problem. I just, I think that uh, she might get deported. I just also, like, I do think it's important that we realize, like, these are the people who are, there's so much gun violence in this country. Like, even as I was reading about this, there was another mass shooting, Parkland was a year ago. And so for me, it's just very depressing to know that, like, this is the gun lobby. Like, these are the people who are giving the NRA money and wanting to keep guns in the hands of people who can, like, perpetrate such atrocity. So the fact that it all ties together is just very deeply upsetting. And it makes sense in terms of the Russian model of how they interfered with our election and interfered with our country because they know these are the pinpoints. These are the emotional points that 
that resonate with us. It's gun violence, it's racism, right. it's all these, it's all these, you know, strings that they're playing that they played us for in order to yep. you know, help Trump get ahead. And so it all, it all makes sense. It all comes together. And I just want to thank you so much. When we talked, I have to tell you, I like literally freaked the fuck out. And I was like, she better write the story. This is the best goddamn story. And I'm so glad you wrote it because I think it adds so much texture to what we're seeing. Cause a lot of times we see these stories and we're like, Oh, that's not real. Or really a spy in the U S you know, we see great, you know, TV shows like the Americans that couldn't really happen. It does really happen. It happens all the time. And for you yep. to be able to put a human face behind this and really give that depth. And it's just, thank you so much. Um, and I want to just thank everybody for listening. I was so excited to have Elena on and you can visit deep state radio network. You can support all of our work. You can become a member. So you get early access to these amazing, cool podcasts like this and members receive, you know, access to the podcast, as I said, and one-on-one newsmaker interviews, um, discounts on deep state swag, and you can follow us on Facebook and you can follow us also on Twitter and you can follow me on Twitter and you can follow Elena and Elena works for refinery 29 and you can always check out all of her good work at, um, refinery 29 and Elena is at Twitter at Elena wonders. So please, please, please check her out. She's amazing. And thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Oh, I'm so glad. All right. Thank you guys. Talk to you all later. Bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.